Hello and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check us out on social media. And now, this week's message. So we've got um, a bunch of missionaries that we want to point out, highlight today, and then pray over. I just thought it would be so cool to make sure that you know about what the Lord is doing through the ministries of all these individuals, some of whom are with us today. So um, I did these in alphabetical order by first name. I don't know why I do things like that, but I do. Carissa Morris is our missionary to the Ukraine. I'm sorry, that's not Ukraine. That is Cambodia. She's our missionary to Cambodia. I get Ukraine and Cambodia mixed up a lot. YWAM is who she's training with. She's training other teams to go into Cambodia. And we're so thankful to her or for her. We're going to pray for her in just a minute. We also have Doug and Joan Dorman, who many of you know. Doug and Joan, they're not with us today. They're watching online. Hi, Doug and Joan. Everybody say hi, Doug and Joan. They are out training some other believers to go make more believers, which we're super thankful for. We also have um, a missionary with crew up to uh, Clemson University. She works with Clemson University students in Green or in Clemson. Her name is Mary Rop. She's with us today. Many of you, I know what you were thinking. She's like, you're like, I didn't know there were Christians at Clemson. There's one. <laughs> I don't have a dog in that fight, so I can make that joke all day long. Mary, where are you at? Where, where's Mary at? She'll be at the um, the kiosk, the mission. There she is over there. She'll be hanging out out after the service at the missions kiosk. Um, if you want to connect with her, we certainly um, recommend that you do that. And then also, who will be hanging out at the missions kiosk are Roy and Pandora King, which are right here. Hey, guys, uh, right there with us today. Yeah, we'll applaud all that. Um, they'll, if you've got any questions about their ministry, they go and uh, work with churches, train other pastors. Um, a lot of work in Ethiopia, too. So anyway, um, amazing thing. No, not e- e- Egypt, Thailand. I'm just saying, I'm just saying countries right now. I it's Easter. I have, some of you guys can only think one thought at a time. I have like 17 shooting through. It's like, grab one, you know. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for all of these guys in a moment. And then also, we have a, a pastor that we want to pray over today, too, um, in Rwanda. His name is Pastor Moses, and he's our, our pastor in a village in Rwanda called Namagabi. Namagabi. It's kind of a sister church there. Um, I'll talk more about that in just a minute, but this ministry that we partner with is called Africa New Life, um, and they build basically campuses all over the country of Rwanda, and Moses is pastoring the campus in Namagabi, which is one of the poorest regions in all of Rwanda. Um, In fact, a country that has a lot of poverty already refers to Namagabi as the poor place, right? So that tells you a lot about just how impoverished it is there. We recently were able to see the launch of a church. Christy and I were over there about a month ago to see this, uh, this launch of this church. And Pastor Moses is our pastor over there pastoring these people. So we're so grateful for him, for all of our missionaries and what you guys are doing. We want to stop right now before we kind of move into the message and just pray God's blessings over you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for all of um, all these servants. <laughs> God, even though my thoughts get jumbled and my countries get confused, <laughs> you're not confused by any of it. Your work is going on all over the world, and we want to pray your protection over, over these friends of ours, these partners. We ask that you, um, that you go before them, that you lead them, that you um, empower them, that you multiply their ministries. We ask... Um, We ask that today, uh, more than ever, wherever they're ministering today, that you would take the seeds that they're sowing and just cause a great harvest. Thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing all over the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I met a man on an airplane a few weeks back. We sat beside each other for nearly eight hours. And I noticed as, as, as I was sitting there that his hair was white that it was thinning, he was older, but he ate voraciously. Like when that cart came around and they give you the meal, he woofed it down like he'd been waiting for it. I was like, this is an unusual fella. There was a giant Timex watch on his wrist, which suggested that whatever his lifestyle was, he was very active, very fit, maybe even athletic. And so at some point during the flight, I turned to him and said, hey, what do you do? And he shared with me that he's a, he was a school teacher, which is not what I was expecting. 
He said, I, I'm a school teacher in Norway. I, I've always lived in Norway. I'm from Norway. I'm heading back to Norway. I've been a school teacher there for years. I rose through the ranks to become the principal before retiring, and I still live in Norway. Now, the Timex, the flight, the appetite, that didn't quite add up in my brain. I'm like, there's something else going on here. So I said to him, I said, what do you really do? Because I was like, this guy might be a spy. He looked like Liam Neeson, you know, from Taken. Like, he could, he could hurt me. He could hurt someone. I said, what do you really do? And then he got down to the real answer. He goes, I was returning. I'm returning from two weeks in Peru, the jungles of Peru. I said, what, what were you doing in Peru? He goes, well, sometimes I just go into the brush. I just, he goes, I bought a plane ticket to go down to Peru, to Peru to go into the jungles just to see if I could survive. I get people to drop me off at a point, a drop-off point, and then for two weeks I try to, try to navigate the jungles to get to an extraction point simply because I've never done it before. I'm like, this is the most interesting person I've ever met. So, and it explained the appetite. I'd be starving after that too, right? I was like, what? do you do this sort of thing a lot? He's like, since I was a kid, I've just always done this. And so we're sitting there, and we have the back of the seat in front of us to stare at, and there's one of those maps on the screen. So I got the world map on the screen, and I was like, where have you been? And he was like, name it. I've probably been there. So I'm like, I take, you know, I zoom in on an area, and he's like, oh, yeah, I went there once when I was 24. I got a bicycle, and I rode the mountains there, and I went for three weeks just to see if I could do it. I was like, what? And I went over to another side, whole other part of the map, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, once I got dropped off there and I hired a driver, never met the guy, and he drove me here and I went down here and through here. You know, and he's like, all this stuff, all these adventures that he had done, it was unbelievable. And he turned to me and he goes, What do you do? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> it's like nothing quite as exciting as that. I mean, this guy was amazing. I said, is there anywhere you haven't been yet? And he thought for a minute. I said, is there anywhere that you want to go that you haven't made it to? And he goes, uh, I just went. That was the last place on his list. He's like, I'm pretty much done now. I've seen all that I want to see. I've made it all the places I want to make it. And when he asked me what I did, I told him a little bit about what I do. And it was like, it was kind of this stop to the conversation, but not, not terribly harsh. It just kind of, it kind of droned on. And then he thought for a minute, introspectively, he just sat there and then he goes, and I'll never forget what he said. He goes, I've never been very religious. A few days later, I would be walking around in Rwanda just days after this experience with Liam Neeson on the plane, and I'm standing in a hospital that was the dream of someone that many of you know who I haven't asked permission to say her name, but she was in Rwanda and felt so strongly that the people there in the capital city of Kigali needed a hospital. In Rwanda, this landlocked little country the size of Maryland and the Great Rift Valley, uh, bordered by Uganda and Tanzania and Burundi and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, it's in the heart of Africa. The elevation of the hills and the mountains there, nickname it the land of a thousand hills. Its geography is mountainous, its climate subtropical, and it has 12.6 million people living in it. It's the size of Maryland. This tiny little country with 12.6 million people. It's the most densely populated mainland country in Africa. The fifth most densely populated in the entire world. One million people live in the capital city of Kigali. And this doctor, this friend, she believed these people needed a hospital. And so she began planning. She began working. She began fundraising. She began networking. And that day, I was walking around this hospital that just months prior hadn't been there. It had just been a dream. A hospital built on soil that not long before was the soil that captured the blood of a genocide, literally. Some of you guys may remember in the, in the mid-90s, 1994, in fact, one million people were executed. When the Hutus and the Tutsis got into basically a genocidal war for three months. So just think about that for a minute. 
A million people are executed in a country the size of Maryland in the span of three months. Think about the bodies, the stench of decomposition, the blood that would have been absorbed into the soil. And now there stands a hospital, a hospital run by a ministry called Africa New Life. Those words, new life. Those are powerful words because in 94, a man named Charles who had been living as a refugee outside of Rwanda, he was of the tribe that was being executed, he had to run for his life to get outside of Rwanda. And then after the the execution subsided, after the genocide ended, he moved back into Rwanda to rebuild and in the midst of that stench of decay, That blood-soaked land, in the midst of these bodies laying everywhere, he thought to himself, somebody's got to do something about this. And so he took a Polaroid camera, and he took photographs of 12 children, because he knew he had a trip coming up to the United States. And he goes, if I can go meet with these Americans, maybe I can get these kids sponsored, 12 of them, and it'll change their lives. They can get an education. They can get out of this impoverished system, right? And 11,000 children later... A ministry exists in Rwanda called Africa New Life. On the continent of Africa, a tiny country that 30 years ago experienced the horrors of war. Not just of war, but organized mass genocide. Now harbors a ministry whose name means that its aim is to reach the rest of the continent of Africa. To offer new hope to Africa, to offer new life to Africa. If the continent of Africa was a person, Rwanda would be where the heart would be located. And they don't think that's an accident. They think there's a new life that's being offered through Rwanda 30 years later in a place where death once ruled. There is now new life. There's a hospital I was walking around in And it's the fulfillment of a dream, a dream dreamt by a compassionate and motivated doctor who spent the final seasons of life with people on their deathbed. And she would go on to write about her experiences and what she would learn, these conversations that she would have after starting a hospital, right? She has these conversations, and she writes a book called A Good Death. A Good Death? Okay. A good death. That sounds strange. So much is encapsulated what we just talked about. There's new life on the ground of a genocide. There's a hospital on the grounds of slaughter, right? There's a death that is good and brings life. How can death be good? How can life be made new? How can death give way to life? How does genocide birth a hospital? How does a landlocked little country the size of Maryland execute one million people and become in 30 years a beacon, literally a new heart to the rest of Africa. And it's because Jesus said something in John chapter 12. He's talking with his disciples. It's on the cusp of this weird experience that we'll talk about in just a minute. And he says something that is so powerful that I felt all week I had to share it with you this morning. Now I want to read what he says and then we're just going to jump into it. He goes, truly, truly, I say to you, which means listen, (laughs) listen, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's this great little verse. We've been looking at for these past several months, several weeks really, these mysterious little teachings about Jesus and his kingdom, his kingdom come. If you haven't been here, we've been talking about these parables, these stories that Jesus would tell about the arrival of his new kingdom, his new system, his new way of living right in the middle of this broken, messed up system, this broken, messed up world. Jesus inaugurated, started a new way of living, a new kingdom in the here and now. 
And if you're like me, if you're anything like me, there's these stories, you listen to them and you hear about how it's supposed to be in that new order, how things are supposed to be in that new kingdom, how you're supposed to live now that you're in this new kingdom. And for some of us, some of you, even me, there's a gap there because I still live over here. Things are still messed up over here. There's a gap between how I know I'm supposed to live and how I actually experience the world, right? There's a gap there. We talked about this gap a few weeks ago. I talked about my son, Benjamin, who, who in a Chick-fil-A play place once, he climbed up on top of a tube. You guys remember this story? And, and there was a pipe hanging from the ceiling. It was not connected to the play place. I don't know why that pipe was there. It's not there anymore, probably fear of lawsuit. And he decided, I've got to jump from this tube and grab the pipe. And he noticed, he saw the gap between where he was when he's standing on this tube and this pipe that he wanted to grab a hold of. And he grabbed a hold of it. He made the jump. He crossed the gap. He crossed the divide. He broke two bones in his elbow as a result of it. But he crossed, right? And sometimes in this series, in this study that we've been doing, it feels like that's the same place that we're at. We see what God calls us to, what he wants from us, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to be like, and it feels like we're standing on top of that tube going, I know I gotta get there, but I'm gonna break myself if I, I can't get there. There's a gap. There's a huge divide. There's nothing I can do to cross it. There's nothing I can do to get across. I, 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 I've struggled these past few weeks because we talked about in this, in this series, as we got closer to Easter, as Jesus got closer to Easter, these stories that he would tell, he would turn up the heat. He would make them harder to hear, harder to listen to, worse to wrestle with, right? They're called the crisis of decision parables. The early ones, there were just these stories that you could listen to and go, well, that was interesting. But early or later in his ministry, he really wanted to turn up the heat so that people would be forced to make a decision about how they feel about him. He's, he's causing a crisis for them. He's causing a point in time for them to have to decide, where am I in this? And the closer he got to the cross, the more uncomfortable he was with people's words. He's like, no, 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 I'm done playing around. I'm not mincing words. I don't want this praise from your lips. I want to know, are you in this for real? And, and that got so difficult because last week, and I'm just going to be honest with you, as I, as I left here, it's like the rest of the day, I just felt like I got up here and yelled at you for 30 minutes. <laughs> and I, when I went to bed that night, it was like the Lord, something just kept me awake the whole night because I'm going, gosh, all we did was talk about the gap. All we did was talk about the divide, the place where we need to be and where we are now. And that's so difficult. And I don't want to leave it there. And that's when I felt like the Lord said, here's what you talk about this Sunday then. This is for you guys. In John chapter 12, this story, the, these verses that we're looking at today, where Jesus talks about him dying. It's a story about dying, and you guys, I know what you're thinking. You're like, it's Resurrection Sunday. We're not supposed to talk about death. We're supposed to talk about life. Like, you should have talked about that Friday night. You know, we're in Easter time. But here's my problem. I can't get you to resurrection if you don't understand that you got to die to get there. Right? Uh, I can't help you with the resurrection Jesus has for you if you're not willing to die to yourself. That's the problem. These promises of resurrection, the promises of being a part of this new kingdom, these promises which are vast, we just can't get to these promises without talking about dying to ourselves. We have to die on the way there. Dying to our own effort, dying to our own strategies to try to work our way to God. We have to die to that because we can't get there by our own effort. We can't cross that gap on our own. Many of you know this, right? You can't be moral enough. You can't be good enough. You can't earn it by being a good person. You just can't. And so the offer on the table this morning, friends, is death. Death. So I want to talk about the benefit of resurrection, but the necessity of death to get there. The Bible says, and many of you know this, in Romans chapter 3, 
The Bible says, the Apostle Paul says that all of us have sinned. You know what that means? It means a couple of things. One, we're all broken. We're all messed up. We're all real. Like there's this thing inside of us that we just can't fix. There's something that, that, that destroys us and eats away at the vitality of us, right? This ache that we all have that we're trying to fill with something. And we're all in that boat. All of us. All of us have sin. That just evens the playing field. Did you notice that? Nobody's got a leg up on anybody in this, in this understanding of Romans chapter 3. We're all broken. We're all flawed. And, and if you didn't know that, just reread the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Did you know those commandments? Those commandments are in there for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that's in there is just to show us how messed up we are. Paul says that. Like, there's these commandments in there that none of us can keep, that all of us break, and the reason that it's in there is just to show us that we can't do it. You can't earn this, right? Nobody can be perfect. All of us have sinned. The reason for the thou shalts is to show us we can't do this. Some of you guys are like, that's my problem with Christianity. Because every time I come, I feel judged. Friend, you are judged. We all are. These commands that are in there, they judge all of us. And in order for us to receive what Jesus has done for us, we have to feel the weight of that. Paul says the reason that those commands, that we feel the weight of those commands, is to welcome us into something better, to, to coax us out of that old system of trying to earn it, right? That thing that you feel that I'll never be good enough, this I can't be good enough, that's called sin, Paul says. Sin, this brokenness. And the offer on the table this morning is to die to that and have it replaced with life. It's a great offer. It's the death of shame, the death of I'm not good enough, the death of I wish I wouldn't. And in its place, instead of, instead of sin, Paul says you can have perfection. Jesus says you can have perfection. You can have the God of the Bible looking at you and seeing you as holy, righteous, blameless in his sight. And that reorients everything, doesn't it? He reorients your relationship with yourself, everybody around you, by saying, you're perfect. I delight in you. I love you. I rejoice over you. That's the offer on the table. The offer on the table is the death to shame, the death to striving, and the resurrection of life. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here, right? In John chapter 12, he talks about the benefit of resurrection and the necessity of death to get there. And what happens, the setup for this story in John chapter 12, these, these verses that, well, it's just one verse that I've read so far, right? One verse, you're like, we're going to be here all day. You won't be here all day. One verse, the setup for this story is this lady bursts into a place where Jesus is having dinner. He's eating with folks. He's in the home of a guy that he raised back to life, a guy that was buried for several days, and then Jesus is like, you know, get him out of there. And they're like, surely he stinks by now. And he's like, just do what I say. And he comes forth, right? Lazarus comes forth. He's hanging out with the family. They're eating together. And then this lady bursts onto the scene. You guys remember this story? And it says that she, she pours on his feet expensive perfume. She saved up a long time for this. And she begins to wash his feet with this expensive perfume. And she's crying over his feet. And her tears are washing his feet. And then she unbinds her hair. Which is highly offensive in that culture for a lady to do. And she begins drying his feet with her hair. And all of the people in the room go, knock it off. They scold her. They say, stop it. This is, this is, this is embarrassing, right? And Jesus goes, shut up. Let her do it. He goes, he goes, she is anointing me for my burial. And the room goes silent. A shiver goes down their spines. Burial? It's a dinner party. Burial? They don't know what he's talking about. And so with all eyes on him, as everybody's listening, as everybody's leaning in, then he gives the verse that we were examining this morning. Verse 24, he goes, truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground, unless something dies, 
Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. He's like, that's me. I'm the kernel of wheat. I'm the seed that's going to die and go into the ground. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He's predicting what he's about to do, what he's about to endure, what he's about to experience. His life up until that point, his death on the cross, his, his burial in a tomb, putting in the ground, and this new life that is experienced and offered to everybody else. He's calling himself the kernel of wheat. He goes, unless I fall to the ground. Philippians chapter 2 says he, he came down to earth, right? He laid aside his divine privileges and descended down to us, right? To live a life as a human being and to die, to cancel out that debt. That old world, that old system, he pays it on your behalf. And that single life, that single death is what he's saying here. Buried in the ground gives access for all of us to have life. He calls it the life of many seeds. It's what we're experiencing, what we're celebrating today. Easter. Resurrection. But I would be remiss if I didn't share with you the next verse. Verse 25. So, so this is what Jesus says. He goes, anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I want you to see this. The offer on the table is life, right? The offer on the table. In order to receive this life then, what he offers for us to do in order to receive it is to die. To die. Just as a seed will never become a plant unless it dies and is buried in the ground, so the death and the burial of Jesus was necessary for his resurrection and this new life that we're celebrating today. So the death of you and me then is also necessary for our salvation. We have to die. Before there can be resurrection power, there must be death. We're being invited to die. That's the offer on the table. The offer on the table is death. If I'm reading this correctly, the death of compulsion, the death of addiction, the death of insecurity, the death of sin reigning in your life, the thing that drives many of us to addiction, the thing that drives so many of us to leave that brokenness and despair and try to fill it with something, right? Good stuff like exercise or success or bad, hurtful stuff like drugs or alcohol or pornography, that stuff that we're trying to fill that hole with. The Bible says that you're a slave to those things because you're, you're, you're trying to fill something, something that's broken inside of you, broken inside all of us. Because the word there, when Paul, when Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that word there, for all in Greek, means all. <laughs> it's a Greek word, pans, pandemic, all continents, right? But all of us, all of us have sinned. We're all broken. Some of us have found better ways than others of dealing with the brokenness, but we're all broken, that evens the playing field, doesn't it? That means if you grew up in church, you don't have a leg up on the person who didn't. That means if, if you've grown up singing these songs, right, or doing the Christian thing your whole life, or, or if this is your first day, you don't have a leg up on any. We're all in the same boat. The footing is level at the cross. The ground is level for us all because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures judge every one of us. And so for every one of us to experience the life that he has for us, you got to choose to die. Right? Choose to die to those things, to experience his life, real life, true life. It'll dwell in you and grant you supernatural power to really live. But you have to die to that perfectionism. You have to die to that striving. You've got to die to that addiction. You've got to die to that compulsion, that sinfulness reigning and ruling over your body. Whatever it might be, that old way of living, you've just got to die. You've got to stop trying so hard. When we die to that, he raises us to life in this new 
life, this perfection, blamelessness, spotlessness, purity before God. And, this might be my favorite, his presence. His presence. Guys, there is woven into each of us from the time we are born this hardwiring, this desire, this hyper-romanticism about how people are going to be able to help fix us. You understand what I mean by that? From the time that we are born, we are hardwired to, to want to find somebody who's going to complete me. All the things that are broken with me, all the things that are messed up about me, if I can just find the right person, sometimes we call it a soulmate, if I can just find that person, they will complete me and they will fix everything that's broken with me. It starts innocently enough. When we're kids, if we find the right friend group, we find the right team, we find the right clique, if I'm accepted by the right crowd, then, then I can cover what's wrong with me and find acceptance around these people. And then later in life, slowly, it becomes a person. Like, if I can find the right person, this romantic version of that, if I can find this one man or this one woman, they're out there and they're going to complete me and they're going to fix me and they're going to make all that's wrong with me go away. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about my wife right now. <laughs> if she would laugh, she'd be like, oh boy. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck finding that person. Like, okay, when I married Hannah, if I'm coming into this marriage, I just did a marriage last Sunday after church, right? It was the weirdest thing, because I said to them in front of this group of people, I'm like, um, so you're not uh, going to fix each other. That's a weird talk to give at a wedding, where you're like, you know, I'm so glad you found each other, but the goal of your life isn't a good marriage, you know. But they were super, they were into it. They were fine with it because we talked about that. That puts an unnecessary strain on a marriage to be the purpose for one another. Like when I married Hannah, if I came into that relationship going, all right, Hannah, I need you to fix all my father wounds. <laughs> I need you to fix all my insecurity. Oh, and by the way, sometimes I feel really lonely and I also feel like I'm not enough and I don't measure up. I've got a lot of lustful compulsions. If you can fix those, um, sometimes I feel really uh, just confused or lost. So if you can fix that, and then if you can, if you can cook and clean a little bit, like, <laughs> it'd be awesome. <laughs> now, you laugh. If that pressure sits on my wife or it sits on me, what does that do to the relationship? It, it, it breaks it. We're seeing that as an epidemic. Or God forbid we do that to our kids. Because that's what usually happens next, right? We have this hyper-romanticized version or idea about how we find completeness. And we try to do it in each other, and it doesn't work. So then we have kids to save the relationship, to validate ourselves. If they give me my meaning, if they give me my worth, if they give me my value, I can attach to that. I can connect to that, and that provides it for me. What does that do to the kid? You guys, we are not made to do, we can't approach relationships like that. This is all just evidence of our brokenness and trying to find these different things. And Jesus is offering for all of that to be, to be dead at the cross, dying to that. The offer on the table is death to that way of thinking, that way of living, death to relationships that we thought could save us, death to loneliness, death to despair. And resurrection in the presence of God and his presence in our lives. Because when you have God, you don't need all that stuff. You're not trying to tie into that to fix all those wounds that can't. You get him. And that's so much better because you were created to be in the presence of God. And nothing else will ever satisfy you. Nothing else will ever satisfy you. That's why Jesus, he shares this passage with the disciples, right? They're all eyes on him in that room, and he goes, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, unless I die to that old system, that old way of living, unless I die, that grain of wheat will remain alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. He's like, if you're trying all that stuff, you're trying to get your needs met through that, you're going to lose. You can't win. You can't, you, there will never be enough. 
So what I'm offering for you is to die to that, right? Whoever hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He goes, do you love your life? Do you love the endless striving? Do you love the misery, the brokenness, the frustration, the loneliness, the despair, the striving, and the emptiness? Do you, do you love that? If you love those things, you can, I guess you can keep them. But if you're tired of those things, if you're tired of the hamster wheel, if you hate those things, he goes, you can have something even better because of what I'm about to do for you. Guys, there is a longing inside each and every one of us that nothing in this world can satisfy. And you, you know this because you've tried. That's why some of us, we medicate through alcohol. We numb ourselves through escapism. Finding something where we can just, we can just check out, Right? Whether it's the websites we go on or the movies we watch, the music, something that removes us from the, from the longings of our heart that just shuts it down and numbs us out. It's why 70-year-old men got on airplanes and get dropped off in the jungles of Peru. He leans over to me and he goes, I've never really considered myself very religious. And I'm like, dog, I think you're the most religious person I've ever met. You are searching for something. You are searching, the, literally searching the world for something that's going to satisfy your longing. And you just told me that you just searched the last place on your list. You're out of places. There's nowhere left. You cannot find it. What do you think is driving this pursuit? Why do you think you're searching so hard? What do you think you're looking for? What if you can't find it in this world? Because you've searched the whole world and you're still coming up short. I love, C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. This guy had literally been searching the world and couldn't find that satisfaction. The only logical explanation is that he was made for another world. And there is a savior who gave his life so that you could cross that divide. You could cross that gap. But it only comes when we die. So that's the offer on the table. It's death to ourselves. For, for the last 12 weeks, we've been talking about this new kingdom that Jesus is starting. This new kingdom that he's inaugurating. And all throughout his earthly ministry, people would keep coming up to, to him going, is now the time you're going to kick this thing off, is now the time, are you going to do it now, are you going to do it now? They would keep bugging him about it, right? And he'd constantly have to go, not now, not now, not now. But if you look in the verse immediately preceding this, he goes, the hour has come. The time is now. You've been hearing me talk about it. The time is now. You've been listening, you've been following, you've been seeing, and the time has come. The time is now. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, Unless I do this, it remains only a single seed. But if I die, I can produce many seeds. If I die, I can make something available to you. And it's new, and it's living, and it's beautiful, and it's redemptive, and you can have it. And it cost me my life, and it's going to cost you yours. But many of you, you're tired of that life anyway. I mean, be honest. You're tired. And so here we are, Easter Sunday morning. And to get to the resurrection that's available for you, we have to get a little uncomfortable. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what your baggage is. I don't know what your stuff is, the belief system that you walked in with. But here's, here's what I know. This life is on the table for you. That's the offer. It's the offer on the table. 
It just requires you to die to that old one. All the pursuing, all the climbing, all the trying, all the achieving, all the stuff that you're trying to medicate it with, right, that you're trying to patch that hole with, you got to die to that. And I think you kind of want to anyway, because it's exhausting. We lay that down, we die, and we pick up this new life that's on the table to all of us. Because you, you can't fix you. You can't. If you could, Jesus wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have done this. Guys, there is a world out there that is teaching that self-actualization is going to answer all of your problems. Like if you can just find out who you really are, if you can just tune in to what's really going on in there, if you can just become the best version of yourself that you can, right? You and I are living in a world that cherishes and champions self-actualization. And if anything is going to destroy us, it is going to be that narcissistic nonsense. You can't fix you. If you want your soul to rot out from the inside and destroy any kind of fruitfulness, just believe that the best version of you is going to answer your problems. I don't mean to laugh. I just think about all the stuff going on in the world. And I think I could argue that at the base of it, at the core of it, those terrible, all the stuff, messed up stuff in the world that we see, you see the headlines, right? I don't think there's anybody in this room who hasn't checked Twitter and gone, oh, shut up. It is crazy. At the core of it is this idea that you're the answer to everything. And Jesus goes, no, you're not the path to life, I am. In order to live, you've got to die to that stuff, man. Life is not found when you self-actualize. It's found when you die to yourself. You die to yourself. You pick up the life that he offers. So, we said we're going to get a little uncomfortable. But it's Easter Sunday. And all week I've been praying about whether or not to preach this message. But I don't want anybody in the room who hasn't had the chance to cross that gap, to cross that divide, to not know that they're going from death to life, to die to themselves and pick up the life that he offers, that we celebrate Easter Sunday. So would you do me a favor and bow your heads, close your eyes. It's not going to get weird. <laughs> Nobody's going to steal your stuff while your eyes are shut. <laughs> I'm just wondering though, as I look around this morning, like how many of us are here and just like, gosh, he just described me. I just, I, I feel so done. I feel so tired. Just so ready for this to be over, this hamster wheel. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this, how much I can keep running or keep trying. Or maybe for some of you, like you've been, you've been coming, you've been checking things out, you've been hearing about this new kingdom that Jesus keeps talking about, but you haven't known clearly how to cross that divide, how to cross the gap, what that would require of you, or you were checking it out, you did understand, and you just weren't ready yet. You didn't know yet if you were ready to do that. And here's the thing, today the offer on the table is life. The life that you can only have through death. To get to the resurrection, we got to go through Good Friday. This life he offers requires you to lay down yours. And today's that day. And you're tired. And it's Easter. And some of you, you just know, I've got to die to myself right now. I've got to die to myself. That God might inhabit me through his resurrection power. And so here's, here's my question. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, just, just me and you, and I don't matter. <laughs> If you would say, if you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm done, I just feel done, I'm over it, I'm exhausted, I'm tired of trying to find the salve for my soul in all the wrong places, I'm tired of this system, I'm tired of climbing, I'm tired of run, I'm tired of stressing and working and doing and numbing, I'm tired of it. 
ask you to do something real brave and just stick your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. Stick them up high. Stick them up high. It takes some bravery, but it's worth it. And I want to take you another step further and ask you to do something even braver. If your hand is up, could you stand? Stand right where you are. If your hand wasn't up, but you know you need to do it, go ahead and stand. I've asked some friends this morning if they'd be willing to pray with you, pray for you, walk with you, help you cross that gap, help you know what decision you are making, the prayer that you're praying. We want to get you connected. We don't think anybody can live this thing out alone. This is the best way I know how to do that. This isn't for show. This isn't for anything else. This is just because the best way I know how to do this is to ask some friends if they would talk with you, if they'd connect with you, and if they would pray with you. Folks that I trust and love. So some members of our team are waiting in the back. They've been prompted. They're ready. If you would, if you're standing right now, and if you haven't stood yet, but you know you needed to and you missed your shot, you got another shot. Get up and go to the back. Get up and go to the back. We want you guys to have your own moment. You can do that now. Just go right now. Go right now. Start walking. Start making your way back there towards the back. We got Jay back there um, who's going to pray with you. Luke's back there. Some members of our team, they'll, they'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. They'll connect with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I know that's hard to do in front of all these eyeballs on Easter Sunday, but I promise you it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. While they take care of business, the rest of you, you can lift your heads and open your eyes. They're going to they're gonna have their moment back there. I don't want to let you off the hook yet either, though, okay? <laughs> You're like, great. <laughs> I want to challenge you this morning lovingly as they connect back there. Because I think there's something that hit me this week, too, as I was praying about today. And I just briefly want to share this with you. Something that jumped off the page at me. I was reading the letter of 1 John. You guys know that letter that John wrote. He wrote a gospel. We just looked at that gospel a moment ago. John was probably an early teenager when he first started following Jesus. The youngest of all the other disciples, right? He was the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. And there was a rumor that went out during, during John's lifetime that he wouldn't die. <laughs> he was listening to Jesus and Peter after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. He's eavesdropping on their conversation and Jesus has just predicted to Peter, he's like, this is how you're going to die. And Peter's reaction was much like many of ours would be. He goes, uh, well what about him? <laughs> you know? And Jesus goes, hey, eyes over here. If I want him to stay alive till I get back, what's that to you? Right? And so a rumor was started that, oh, I guess John's not going to die. Right? And John, even in his letter, he's writing it down at the end of his gospel. You can look this up later. He's like, that's not what Jesus said, but that's the rumor that went out. Right? And then later, at the end of John's life, he's got white hair, age spots on his skin. Right? He's an old dude, and everybody else is dead. And John's still alive. If I'm John, I'm like, maybe that wasn't a rumor. Like, maybe that was real. Oh, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. You guys know this? They were like, shut up about Jesus or we'll kill you. Shut up about Jesus or we'll kill you. And he's like, well, I guess you're going to have to kill me then because I can't shut up about him. And they're like, shut up about Jesus or we're going to drop you in a pot of boiling oil. You guys remember? Because they couldn't just execute him normally. They had to do a whole Dr. Evil thing on him, right? Like laser beam. You know, and they're like, we're going to drop you in this pot of oil. And he's like, I guess you're going to have to kill me because I can't shut up about Jesus. And then they drop him in this pot of oil. True story. And they fish him back out and he's still alive. He's like, hey guys, what's up? You know, I was just kidding about dying. And, uh, what do you do with the guy that just won't die? What do you do with him? They're like, uh, I guess we can banish him to an island, right? They exile him to the island of Patmos. They put him on an island. So, and he might still be there. We don't really know. I don't know if anybody's checked in a while. And while he's out there, there's like, there's nobody to talk to. Nobody did that. So he's like, that's fine. I can't talk about Jesus. I can't not shut up about Jesus. I'll just write about Jesus. And he's, he writes all these letters. He writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1 John, 2 John, 3. John. We're not very good at naming things. And then he gets over to the book of Revelation. And like another, he's like, we need a new name for that one. You know, so Revelation. But in 1 John, as an old man, 
old, I mean, only living, last man standing, right? Just won't die. Age spots and bald head. And he, he starts his letter, 1 John chapter, I want you to read how this sounds coming out. He goes, what was from the beginning, I'm going to read it to you real quick. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us and what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. <sighs> That's one sentence. Three verses. It's one long run-on sentence. Right? He's so excited. He's an old dude by himself on an island. And he is still so moved by what he experienced 50 years earlier with Jesus. He's so moved by the resurrection that 50 years later, as an old man isolated and exiled on the island of Patmos, he just vomits all over the page. He's like, what well, we have seen and heard and touched and experienced, and then he's out of breath because he's just so excited. And I'm like, that's the kind of excitement I need. That's the kind of excitement that I need Easter to do to me. That's the kind of resurrection power I need in my own life. Because it's easy to come in here and sing about resurrection on Easter Sunday, isn't it? We're surrounded by friends. We're in our, we're dressed to the nines. Well, I'm not, but you, I was. You should have seen it. I had a shirt on with buttons on it, right, and a jacket. It was outside, and I was like, well, that's enough, and I put on a T-shirt. It's easy to come in here and sing about Jesus on Easter. But how you live tomorrow will be the evidence of the things you sing today, right? How you live tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday will be the evidence. It'll be the proof of what you're singing today. And my prayer for us, my prayer for us is that we don't lose that excitement, that we would be just like the Apostle John. In his old age, he still is out of breath. He's like, oh, you'll never believe what we got to experience 50 years ago. That's how a movement catches on. That's how lives are changed. That's how the kingdom is brought here. Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about who we are, check out seacoastvineyard.com. We would love to hear from you, so make sure you leave us a review or drop us a message. Until next time, have a great day.